entrepreneur has been a revolutionizing force in society. But who exactly is this strange animal anyway? Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The entrepreneur can be a difficult and complex individual. There's a kind of mythology that has arisen around the man or woman who doesn't follow the crowd, who pursues a goal with relentless passion, who starts in a garage and builds a massive enterprise that comes to dominate the business and cultural landscape. We love hearing stories about Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and, going back further in history, Andrew Carnegie, John D. Rockefeller, and Thomas Edison. But how much of the story is legend and how much truth? Who are these people really? Did they make it entirely on their own? What are they like as human beings? What's it like to lead a life of creative destruction? We'll get answers in my conversation today with Joe Carlin, author of A Brief History of Entrepreneurship, The Pioneers, Profiteers, and Racketeers Who Shaped Our World. You can tell from the book's very title that Carlin has a nuanced view of the entrepreneur whose role in society is essential, at least until it crosses lines of ethical and acceptable human behavior. So let's find out what makes this creature tick. Here's my conversation with Joe Carlin. Joe Carlin, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. In your subtitle of your book, A Brief History of Entrepreneurship, you use the words pioneers, profiteers, racketeers. So I guess we're going to be talking about more than business genius here today, aren't we? Yes. Part of the premise of the book is that entrepreneurship is a wider field of endeavor than what we often assume. What motivated you to write this book? Well, for the past 15 years, I've been working with primarily with entrepreneurs, providing them with strategic documents of various kinds, business plans, business valuations, patent valuations, and so forth. And often I've noticed that entrepreneurs, although naturally are profit-seeking to some extent because nothing can survive uh, without money, there's often these other factors that come into play in terms of what motivates an entrepreneur to start something. And also often the more successful ones, the impact of what they do has extends beyond economics and, and can affect other aspects of life. For example, currently what's happening with the, the space tourism industry, which is primarily driven by entrepreneurs, that's going to have ramifications well beyond uh, economics. So I thought this is an interesting, to my mind, this is something that's sort of underexplored. You know, what has been throughout history, what has been the impact of the entrepreneur. And I'm not saying from a moral perspective whether it's been a net positive or net negative, but what have been the historical changes that have actually been instigated by entrepreneurship? And that's really the premise of the book. 
And in fact, your own research precedes this book, goes back to a biography of the so-called banana boat founder, Robert Bell. You were doing a biography of Benjamin Graham, who was Warren Buffett's mentor. So you've had a little bit of experience up before this in charting the journeys of these remarkable people. That's true. Although some people don't think of Graham as an entrepreneur, he absolutely was. In fact, some people say he was the first person to start his own hedge fund. But yeah, those certainly helped lay the groundwork for this. And but this is, of course, a much broader historical look, but that gave me the writing background to be able to do this. So as you have studied these entrepreneurs across over the years and across industries, I assume that you've developed some kind of a psychological profile of this particular animal. And I'm wondering if there are any particular points that you found them to have in common. In terms of the more successful ones or just entrepreneurs in general? I would say in terms of, I think the interest would be more the successful ones, but where does your interest lie? I mean, I guess you were, in, you were interested in whether they were successful or not, but the, to, the, to the extent that they were successful, what are the qualities that you found out about them that kind of you think maybe led to them being who they are and what they accomplished? So I think that there's sort of a certain a certain creativity, a certain passion, let's say, a certain ambition, that initial ambition that is common to all entrepreneurs, successful or otherwise. But I think that what separates the more successful ones from the less successful ones is not so much creativity, because there's plenty of technical and other sorts of geniuses who fail at their entrepreneurial pursuits. And there's also plenty of examples of wildly successful entrepreneurs who've actually taken something that already exists and just tweaked it slightly and just were much more effective at promoting it than the real innovators of the, the product service. So I think what really separates the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, is planning, discipline, to follow through with plan, and a real focus on execution. And also a willingness to – it's a bit of a platitude, but persistence is a huge part of it because a willingness to – when there's a, an obstacle that shows up and not to just throw in the cards but to find a way around it and persist, that all makes a huge difference. So it's much more than just being excited about an idea, although that's the essential first step. There are these other steps and these other qualities that are required to see it through. It's interesting that almost a kind of mythology seems to arise around some of these uh, entrepreneurs in terms of their history and their story and what they were and how they developed. And so many of them seem to have been or at least claim to have been rebels, unable to conform to the norms of society, often doing really poorly in school, dropping out of college to start some little project that no one thought would succeed. Is that true or is that kind of a myth about the entrepreneur? I think there are plenty of examples that support that myth, but there's also plenty of examples that are the opposite. There are plenty of examples of entrepreneurs who did extremely well in school, were working at a steady job as engineers or whatnot for a certain amount of time uh, after school before they launched a very successful entrepreneurial venture. For example, the richest man in China right now, Wang Chuanfu, his company BYD is one of the largest cell phone manufacturers and and automobile battery manufacturers. He was did extremely well in school and worked a very steady government job as a chemist before in his late 20s co-founding BYD. 
So that's one side of the equation. The other side of the, equa- of the equation is Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, both of whom are uh, high school dropouts. Of course, the high school dropout story makes for a more exciting story. There's more of a dramatic arc there, so maybe people remember those examples more. Yeah, it certainly seems that they participate in their own image making once they achieve success, and then it becomes difficult to kind of separate mythology from truth in terms of what they really were and how they came up and how they succeeded. You described when I asked you to give me a psychological profile of the entrepreneur, the qualities that you mentioned were mostly positive in nature. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if there are certain so-called negative qualities, too, that are almost essential to the success of an entrepreneur and to the personality of that individual. Yeah, and I should clarify that my book is does not. I, I don't. I'm not a cheerleader for entre- entrepreneurship. There are plenty of examples of entrepreneurs in the book who are engaged in nefarious activities and, and whatnot. Although it's certainly, I'm not against entrepreneurship uh, either. But yeah, so to, to your question, I think that's a fair question. I think that certainly there have been successful entrepreneurs who were somewhat domineering with employees and with suppliers and so forth, and some who were not particularly ethical. However, I do think that, especially in a, uh, unlike some societies in history, that enterprise that's built on illegal activity will eventually, it'll eventually catch up to those entrepreneurs and they, it, long-term success is much more difficult to have if it's built on something completely nefarious or illegal. But even if you don't get to the point where the behavior is illegal, there are so many stories attached to modern-day entrepreneurs. For instance, Steve Jobs parking his Porsche or his Mercedes in handicap zones and being rash and imperious and others being the same way. I'm just wondering if that's just bad press or is there to some degree in terms of the modern-day entrepreneur or even the historical one – is there some element where you kind of have to be a jerk sometimes in order to be an entrepreneur, or is that just not a fair statement? I would say there's probably some truth to the statement, although there certainly are plenty of entrepreneurs who are very successful ones who are not jerks at all. But the kind of behavior that you mentioned was, was also ascribed to Andrew Carnegie and Rockefeller, the original Rockefeller, in terms of heavy-handed tactics – with competitors and sometimes with employees. But on the other hand, you have someone like a Ford who, although very controversial in other respects, was actually paid his employees very, very well. And so it, it really does depend. But I think I think it's fair to say that there's a streak of stubbornness and a streak of of arrogance among some of the most successful entrepreneurs. I think that is fair to say. Have you studied the phenomenon of the serial entrepreneur, the individual who just can't stop creating new things and isn't particularly interested in sticking with any one thing, or if, or if that fails, immediately on to the next big thing? Yeah, that's interesting because I've actually had some clients like that, and sometimes it's just sort of the, the creative process that excites them, to get something up and running and then to sell it off and start something else. And that's why I'm so impressed with people like Elon Musk and uh, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, who build something up, nurture it, keep it running, and then build another thing and another thing and have several things. I mean, of course, you know, we know they can afford to have all kinds of people running these different things, but still, to be able to be the visionary behind multiple highly successful businesses and keep those balls in the air and then add new ones 
and do so successfully. I think that's why, I mean, I think for me today, it's really hard to beat Elon Musk in terms of the impact of what he's doing in multiple fields and generally how well he executes. Do you believe there comes a point in the progression of an entrepreneur where that individual becomes an actual liability to the company, where it becomes necessary to bring in a more seasoned manager because the genius aspect of it is actually working against the continued success? I mean, on one hand, you get someone like Fred Smith who formed FedEx and stuck with it forever after. On the other hand, you get some of these people who come along, form the company, and then they get kicked out because they're no longer right for the company as it matures. How do you feel about that dynamic? That's an important aspect of this, and there's a few examples of that in the book. And essentially, different roles come into play, and sometimes people think that they've been blessed with, with all the skills, and often that's not the case. So, for example, more often than not, it's a question of the original entrepreneur is the innovator. He or she thought of a great idea or a great improvement on an existing idea. And then when it comes to realizing that and executing on that and transitioning from the visionary to manager, there are, I think, relatively few people who are just as good at the visionary role as they are in the managerial role. And sometimes there are people who are absolutely miserable in the managerial role and eventually are forced out. Or Worse than that, the whole enterprise falls apart because although it's it's built upon a terrific idea, the managerial skill is just not there, and then eventually things fall apart. Although in the case of Apple, for instance, it started that way and then came back. Steve Jobs was essentially forced out of his own company. John Scully came in. It didn't work, and Jobs came back to manage the company again. So that was an interesting change in, in that dynamic. Jobs, at one point, he seemed like that type of person who was just too difficult to, to work. He had all these great ideas, but he was too difficult to work with and too stubborn, wouldn't listen to the board and whatnot. And then, of course, in time, he proved them wrong. Although it's interesting about Jobs is that he actually became a billionaire not from Apple, but from Pixar. And some people think that it was his time at Pixar and his time sort of in exile from Apple where his personality changed to an extent that allowed him to become a better manager when he came back. It seems like the mantra of so many entrepreneurs is creative destruction, and we see that all the time these days. But I'm wondering, as you have drilled down into the lives of these individuals, have you detected a, an overarching theme about how their entrepreneurial spirit affects their private lives, their families, their friends, their people around them? Are they able to maintain stable private lives, or is that simply something that has to go by the wayside because of the genius of their entrepreneurship? That's an interesting question. I I think that there probably is a net negative impact on private life for an entrepreneur, for the, the more successful entrepreneurs. However, there are also there are quite a few examples of – I mean, Richard Branson, for example, he's had a very long and happy marriage by all counts. So I think it depends, but again, probably the on average, it probably does take a toll on family life, although it depends on how aggressive the entrepreneur is. And if there might be certain issues in how that entrepreneur handles his or her business that also affect their personal lives. In, in other words, issues with their personality, regardless of whether they would have been entrepreneurs or employees. But yeah, I would say there's probably some truth to that, but I think it varies quite a bit. 
It seems that most of the discussion around entrepreneurs, both historically and in a contemporary basis, have been about men. What about women? Uh, have you discovered compelling cases of female entrepreneurs, or is there something about our society and our culture that blocks them from achieving that status? What, what's going on with, with that? Historically, there has not been an awful lot of opportunity for women to become entrepreneurs of the same level as, as men. I mean, looking in, uh, looking back at the different civilizations covered in my book, including more recent civilizations, of course, the book goes up to the 21st century as well. But as we get to the 20th and 21st century, there are more examples like that. And in fact, even earlier, for example, the the settlement of Quebec by French settlers, interestingly, part of that was driven by women who want to become entrepreneurs in the fur trade and whatnot, who, who would not have those opportunities in France. So the New World gave them an opportunity to become entrepreneurs. And so that's sort of a somewhat older example. More recently, there are, of course, you have some very large shops and whatnot, like the Body Shop, and that's founded by Anita Roddick. There's an example internationally. There's there are more women be- becoming entrepreneurs. There's a, a featured example in the book about a lady who's Funky Upeki from Nigeria who raised two hundred million dollars to start a broadband business that connected through fiber optic cable connected Europe with Africa to bring broadband to West Africa. And that has had a huge impact on the economy of, of West Africa. So there's, I think, not just here, not just in the Western world, but I think globally we'll see more and more female entrepreneurs coming to the fore with, with very large businesses. You know, the whole story of entrepreneurs, it dovetails to a certain extent with the so-called great man theory of history, the idea that individuals really do make a difference. On the other hand, it seems that a lot of these people, they depend on the support and accomplishment of others in order to achieve what they achieve. So I'm wondering to what degree should we buy into the mythology of the primacy of the individual and the genius of the entrepreneur without taking into account all the other people that made that person's success possible? It's a complicated sort of multifactorial picture there. First of all, not everything, like I said, as I, as I indicated earlier, I, I don't think everything the entrepreneur has done in, historically has necessarily been positive. However, there have been many things that we think of as being driven by governments that have actually been driven by private entrepreneurs, both good and bad. Here's an example of a very morally ambiguous example is that many of the settlers, not only of the Americas but elsewhere, were financed not by governments but by private merchant companies like the Royal Africa Company and the uh, Hudson's Bay Company. These were companies started by really a group of merchants. Those merchants then sponsored other entrepreneurs, people like Henry Hudson, to go out and claim new territories and bring back furs or tobacco or whatever it might have been, or bring back spices from India with the British East India Company. That was really an entrepreneurial project. Now, the impact of that is extremely contentious and extremely controversial. But I do think it's interesting to realize that that was not purely governmental. Now, back to your point about, okay, let's say you have some computer genius who creates a new business and employing millions of people. Certainly that person's education, whoever funded their education, which in many cases is largely by government, played a role in that. 
enterprise. And whoever provided some of the infrastructure for that business to work with, uh, tel- telecommunications infrastructure, road infrastructure, is a huge part of that business's success as well. So I think that it's sort of an interesting interplay, and it really is, I think, sort of case-specific. And I certainly don't buy into the mythology that you know we owe everything to the entrepreneurs, but I do think that it's entrepreneurship tends to have an impact, both positive and negative, beyond just the economy. Well, the book is called A Brief History of Entrepreneurship, The Pioneers, Profiteers, and Racketeers Who Shaped Our World, by my guest today, author Joe Carlin. Uh, we'll link to that book on our in the show notes to this episode. Joe, what's your website also that people can reach you at? Value-guards.com. Okay, great. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being with us on the show to talk a little bit about the uh, reality and mythology of the entrepreneur. Thanks very much for being with us. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was my conversation with Joe Carlin, author of A Brief History of Entrepreneurship. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.